Hey, this is Walleye Talk with Will and Dan. I'm okay, Dan you, Ryan. You need to settle down well, right we, now. We were really late last Hey time. there, this is Walleye Talk with Will and Dan. I'm like Will Newer. You're making it sound like they have to listen to it after 11 p.m. <laughs> we're going to cover PG we're gonna, stuff. We're going to slow things down <laughs> here. This is Walleye Talk. Uh, it's episode 18 <laughs> of Walleye Talk. Yeah, it's... Uh, we're, we're legal now. We're legal. We it's can a, buy lottery it tickets. It is great. Yeah. Hey, we've been pretty good, dude. We haven't missed a week in 18 weeks. Holy cow. Like, Talk you about think, commitment. Yeah. Wouldn't you think something would come up? Well, I mean, we've, it's not like this has been super easy. I mean, we've had to do some of these episodes like right now, fast. Right, before a trip. And light it up, yeah. you know? Let's talk as fast as we can. Let's get this thing beat up. You know, right. I'm glad you have the technology to slow us down. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, people wouldn't be able to hear what you have to say. My goodness, you understand. It's unbelievable. Um, this is episode 18, and we've got our third, fourth guest. Fourth guest. Fourth guest of our podcast, Mark Hordek. Fun fact about Mark, he is the, he is the captain at the local YMCA for his synchronized swimming team. You want to tell us a little bit about that, Mark? Yeah, uh, Will actually got me introduced into synchronized swimming. Sure. Um, <laughs> Dan was his coach, so yeah. that's how we kind of all know each other. I'm the elder statesman. <laughs> yeah, yes. I don't, yes. I don't dabble in the swimming anymore, <laughs> yeah. but I've got some pointers. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But uh, the, no, I thought that was going to be way better. <laughs> Like, in my head, I was like, Mark's going to just be baffled. <laughs> Blew up in my face. So, the, the funny thing is, Will and I are best friends. And before that even came out of his mouth, I knew he was going to say that. So, I already had <laughs> a comeback for it. I knew it was coming out of his mouth. <laughs> We're pretty happy to have Mark, though. We're going to try to do a, a sort of a tech episode. So, I'm sure there'll be some funny stuff in here. But also... We're going to focus on the, the techie stuff. I know a lot of you are kind of addicted to that part of the fishing world, and for good reason. It's, you know, for a lot of us, it's like the same as women going into a jewelry store or us going into a tackle shop, and Mark is a pretty good guest for that. Can you tell us, like, why you're, you're well fit, a good fit for this uh, type of episode? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm kind of a self-proclaimed jack-of-all-trades. I like doing just about everything. Um Bass fishing, musky fishing, walleye fishing, crappies, sunfish. I've even known to fish carp before, so a little bit of everything. Sure. Um, I work at a tackle shop in Grand Rapids, Thousand Lakes Sporting Goods. Yeah, so pretty pretty nice tackle shop. Yeah, really. very I nice. Mean, sell a lot of high you know, quality stuff. Yeah, high quality stuff, good stuff, stuff we like to sell, we like to use. Right. So. Yeah, I feel like that's the reputation I I hear about from that place is that like it's the guys are informed because they use the gear and they only bring in stuff that they they like to use yep. like you're getting a sales pitch because the guy who's talking to you is, in it. is yeah, using the stuff you yeah know, like he got off the lake eight hours earlier and he was wearing the sims gear that he's trying to sell you know? absolutely yep so i yeah it's not like your typical sales pitch i think the stuff that you guys talk about you use and i i think that's why you're a good fit for a tech talk yeah i would agree uh, we're going to stick with the same template we've been doing, which is week in review. And Mark, I think you had a pretty interesting week. Do you want to do your week in review? You're well, fishing the Rapids area lakes? Yeah, well, if you guys have, have want to go first, I can kind of 
kind of end yeah, it off and then we can kind of jump right into sure. it. Um, so I had, I had a couple of trips. Well, I had a bunch of trips last week. It was crazy. Um, one of my trips, um, we ended up catching nine, keeping five, and we caught five. Keeping four. No, we kept five and had four that were too large. Um, I learned a lot that day. I mean, we had good fishing, but we also made a bunch of mistakes that cost us a bunch of fish. So while we were Lindy rigging, um, it seemed like if we, so I had a couple times where my drags, I went from using jigging wraps to Lindy rigging, right? Mm-hmm. So I had a very tight drag sure. when I'm Lindy or when I'm jig wrapping. Yep. Cause you want to put those hooks into those fish. Right. Well, <clears throat> this is a, this is a boneheaded move, you know, like I never checked my drags after I set them up to Lindy rigs. I just, it just didn't cross my mind. Sure. And we had a couple of real nice fish on. This happened not just once, but twice. Where, you know, they're not going to break the braid, but they broke our hooks. They broke our, the line, like, from our hooks. Sure. They broke my knot off. Right. So, that's something that I need to keep in mind. Um, I also, well, we caught those nine. I caught three of those nine, and I was using a jig and a minnow. I was using that in deep water again. Sure. And I tell you what, I don't know what it is. And I don't know if it's just me, but then these freaking fish just keep eating jigs and minnows. <laughs> like, I don't, I'm like, I'm a little baffled myself because usually they don't bite, you know, kind of this well, but they're eating them just the same as they are with a jig or with a rig and a nightcrawler or a rig and a leech. Sure. You know, I still am catching, and I tell you what, it's, it's not even a secret. I tell you right to your face, okay? You don't have any secrets. This is, I'm like an open book. Ask my mom a horrible liar. Horrible liar. Ask Ma Newer, and she'll tell you straight up. Will Anthony Newer, horrible liar. Okay. I've been using it. It doesn't seem to matter what depth I am. I'm in. Eighth ounce jig and a thumper Thumper jig. (laughs) It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. You know, it's like, I can't, I can't put my, like, I can't figure out why. It's that specific, but you know, I went to a quarter ouncer. I went to a quarter ouncer with a blade, but I swear to God, it's that eighth ounce jig. And you, if you just make yourself make it work, you're going to catch fish on it, dude. It's crazy. And I don't know why I was in like 29 feet of water with a thumper jig, eighth ouncer. And that's like what it took to get bit. Sure. I don't know. You're just force feeding them. I was. That's what it is. I was willing it. Yes. See, that's a double-edged... I was willing it to happen. I, I don't get it. I got it. I get it? So, that's not the way I would run the show. And what I wonder is, like, okay, like, so you're comparing your presentation to your customers, right? Yeah. But, like, what if you were running a rig and a crawler? Or you were running a rig and a red tail? Would you have caught five instead of three? I don't know, Dan. I'm putting you on the but spot it's, here. So in my eyes, it's worth it to catch those three on a jig in a minnow because it's that much better. Okay, fair enough. That much. But better. I think what's happening is you're like getting better at always landing on fish during your days. You're, you know, because you're getting. Because I'm the best. You're the best. Yep. Yeah. Thank you. And hey, we're gonna save this. I want this during my wedding. <coughs> Dan saying Will <laughs> is the best. I hope. Even if you don't get the point out of this point, I hope the listeners do. Like, you're landing on fish all the time, and yeah, you're catching a few on a jig in the middle because you're always on fish now, but what if you were doing, like, what are you, 
do something else. Say what I'm supposed to. Go ahead and say what I'm supposed to. But like, I, last week I caught fish that had minnows in them like this. Mm-hmm. This week, I might not have had them have that many. But I saw a couple minnows in those fish's guts. And Mark and I, we've been on those fish. What was that, two years ago? Yep. Where we were jigging minnows that jigging were like two, two and a half inches long. Yep. And they just were choking yeah. them. Two and, just and, and that was in like the end of July, and that was like the freaking best bite we had. We, we got one on a crawler. That was yeah. it. And yeah. We, like, we're and that was the very first. Everywhere. That was like the very first fish. Yeah. And we're like, oh, it's rig red tail. Oh, no. And we was like, I'm going to put a jig and a minnow on. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And literally, like, it hits the bottom and ka thump. Sure. Oh, my gosh. It was the coolest. All right. All right. Whatever. Whatever. But yeah, I guess you can't judge it day to day or even lake to lake. No. But see, the truth is though, like all of the fish we're always fishing are always eating minnows. Minnows are always making up the biggest portion of their diet. Yeah. Always. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying, man. There's like empirical evidence a that a nightcrawler will catch more fish sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah, for key. sure. Especially during like key times of the year, like when there's bugs around. Or when Will Neuer's not in the boat. <laughs> <laughs> but when Will Neuer's in the boat, he's going to have a jig and a minnow on, and it's like Hulk mania up in there. <laughs> Rawr! You know, you got to fight the Hulk to get to a nightcrawler oh, or something. You know? Crazy. See, the problem is, it's August 1st right now. Isn't it great? And so, like, next week, you'll be like, I caught a couple on a jig and a minnow. And then the next week, you'll be like, I caught quite a few on a jig and a minnow. And we have that until October. <laughs> That's <laughs> all you're going to talk about. I could do this for the rest of my life. <laughs> we could do this every that. single day, and I'd love to tell you that. It's great. <laughs> the Will right. Dan Jig and Minnow show. <laughs> <laughs> but this week, it was crazy. So they'd only eat the fat heads with the black heads on them. They wouldn't touch, like, the silvery ones. It was unreal. You see how many pur- how much purple's in those fat heads you get right now? There's so much purple in them. It's on. This is going to be an unbearable Unbelievable. Dan, I think it's your turn. My turn? Yeah. Um, I didn't do the walleye thing a whole lot this week. I was on I was on Woman Lake almost the whole week, and walleyes are just tough out there. You get a couple in the morning, mostly on jigging wraps, and then uh, we'd switch, switch gears, and the panfish bite is probably the best, most consistent thing I've got going. I can kind of promise people a good day of crappie fishing or a good day of fishing for bluegills. At least up there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not that lake. I mean, wouldn't you say five lakes? I could take people to five, six different lakes right now and, and have a consistent panfish bite. Yeah, for sure. Right. At least. Right. So that At is least. like steady, stable, and, and it's a good one. And I'm doing that in... 13 to 18 feet of water we with just, celery. We just ate some of those panfish. They're delicious. fan freaking fantastic. We got to thank Manure again for that. Thanks, Manure. Best fish breading ever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the panfish thing is consistent, fun. For me, it's 13 to 18 feet, and it's not cabbage. It's eelgrass or celery grass. I just Google that, but it's the real tall Stuff that comes stringy up, stuff, yeah, stringy, yep. comes up halfway through the water column. Um, so the fish are only six, seven feet down. Will and I had a day where they were actually about where the jig would disappear is where the fish were. It was nuts. Yeah, three, four feet underneath the boat. That's been best. And we for found me. a couple walleyes there too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think eelgrass probably gets looked over. The problem, but it does the, kind not of not grow the problem. Up. It grows everywhere. Right, it grows kind of mixed in with cabbage too. So I think yeah. cabbage takes the 
the credit for what the eelgrass provides. Right, right. Yeah, I like that stuff that covers about half the water column. I feel like that's that's key. And like, it's the perfect style of wheat too to fish because it's not super like slimy. It's really and it's and it's always been productive. Right. And you can pluck your you can pluck your stuff through it pretty easy. Really you can easy. run a jig through it pretty easy without it getting you know it's not like coontail or anything where you're gonna tow up a hole. A Eight hole pounds of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was my week. Mark. Mark. Yeah. So uh, I was pre-fishing for a bass tournament um, out in the Grand Rapids area, and I was catching a lot more walleyes than bass. It was <laughs> awesome because I was throwing swim baits and drop shots and crank baits and it was it was a riot because you could catch them on casting rods and you're just towing horses and we caught a 28 and a 25 and a half and a 24 and a 23 a bunch of eaters i mean it was it was a riot you know 10 to 16 feet just what kind of what kind of bottom content really uh, it's all hard bottom stuff and over there it's the weeds this year just did not grow well. I don't know if it was the the, the weird spring we had, and then it got super hot, and I it was it was super strange, and the water clarity was horrible this this spring down there. So it's wasn't very much fun early in the year, but right now it is very very good. It's sure. I mean I I caught a dozen dozen and a half walleyes in a three hour span, and I think I caught four bass. So I mean, it was, it was that's awesome. my that's my yeah, style of bass fishing, you know. And I'm throwing a, a you know DT seven crankbait and shad looking thing, yeah, in twelve feet of water, just hoping to find a suspended smallmouth somewhere. And next thing you know, you're hooked up, and you think you got a giant on, and it comes up, and it's a twenty five inch wall. <laughs> and at first, you're a little mad, and then you're like, well, that doesn't suck all that much. So, well, I like the chick meat off of you, boy. Just get that. That's definitely a theme, though. I mean, I, I talk to bass. Usually the bass guys reach out to me. They're like, hey, heads up. Uh, I was fishing here, and I ended up catching, like, 20 walleyes throwing. And you did that yeah. last year. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was in this stretch of bull rushes, and we're like, yeah, we were there yesterday. Right. <laughs> right. But, yeah, I think that's something. There's lessons to be learned, you know, the overlap between the habitat and, like, sometimes – bass fishermen are are catching walleyes and you don't always hear about it and there's probably some things we could learn from bass fishermen are the best shallow water walleye fishermen sure almost always yeah because they're always there right they always find the hot bite in there and because like a lot of times you don't hear about them catching a ton because well they're throwing rubber worms sure you know you throw like a jig and a plastic up there's something that's you know more desirable by a walleye, at least by my standards. Sure. Minnow-like. Yeah, more for minnow. the most part. Right, because walleyes always eat minnows. Or in my case, smallmouth fishing, throwing a drop shot, it looks like a little leech or a worm just sitting yeah. in their face and they right. can't stand it. Got to Just it. wiggling. I have to eat that. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah, I also think they don't maybe get the numbers because that's not what they're looking for. You know, they're going a mile, mile and a half cruising a shoreline or something. They're not going to stop and beat up on, on a school. You know, right. like, like, oh, that was a walleye. That was neat. I gotta find a largemouth. You know, they're not, <laughs> yeah. they're not, they're not that interested in in it. Um, anything else from your week? Sort of notable for people, like what they like. Was there a pattern you think there? Is it shoreline rocks? It wasn't even rocks. It's just a little bit firmer bottom for the most part. And where there used to be weeds, there last year there was weeds. That's what I was keying on. And sure. I wasn't casting up the break. I was casting parallel to the break. 
gotcha. which kept my bait in the strike zone much, much longer. So it gave me a better chance to catch those fish. So you almost, like, since there's no weeds there, it almost makes you kind of wonder, like, those fish were, like, were those fish there last year, but now they're more catchable because their cover's not there? Like, their cover's blown. Yeah. You know? Well, and all those bait fish still want to be up there. Right. They want to try and hide in the little weeds that are left, mm-hmm. and they can't, and those walleyes are just gorging themselves. Sure. That's awesome. Yeah. But yeah, so... If is that talk, still going on? Absolutely. That's awesome. So I don't know, you guys want to talk plastics that I was using maybe? Or? Yeah, I think that's a good topic because I feel like that's like sort of a weak point in my game is fishing plastics and I know you fish plastics a lot. Yeah, I have a lot more confidence in plastics and Will will attest that's to that. I, I fish plastics in the boat with Will all the time and he drives me it. bananas. Because I'll go step for step with him a lot of the time. Not every time. But a lot of the time. So it's dumb. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I, I think Will's talked about this bait before. Uh, Kytec Easy Shiner. Easy Shiner! That is by far my favorite plastic to throw. Um, most of the time I throw it on a quarter ounce head just because it's a, a cast and reel bait for me. Um, if those fish are really relating to the bottom, you can slow it down and kind of hop it a little bit. Uh, that's really just my go-to swim bait style Plastic. Now, how do you use that? And like, so you're using that probably on shoreline breaks where you're breaking from, you know, ten to eighteen probably, right? I'll, I'll fish that thing all the way up to twenty five. Really? You just let it sink all the way to the bottom, and it's just a slow, slow. It's almost painfully. Slow. Doesn't that drive you nuts? Uh, yeah, until you get bit, it tears the rod out of your hand. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, that's very <laughs> interesting. You have no idea if it's a pike or a walleye it's or just a small a mouth right or a large mouth. It is. You're. It's hooked up, and you're cranking that thing to the boat. Awesome. So. So you just cast, let it sink, and sl- slow it's retrieve. Slow, midsummer, it's slow retrieve. Um, if those fish start getting really, really shallow I, in that 10 to 6-foot range, I'm going to uh, kind of pulsate that bait with my reel where I'm going to give it like four constant retrieves. And I'm going to just speed it up for half a crank and just let that bait kind of flutter up really fast and it kind of settles back down before your line tightens back up. Sure. So just to get that fish to react, it's in shallow water. That's where it wants to eat. You know, not all the time they they want to eat up in 20 feet of water. Right. So. If you find them up there, they're going to chomp. Yes, absolutely. Um, now, when you're using those plastics, are you using, like, special plastics jigs? Are you using, like, standard Northland gumball jigs? Are you looking more to, like, something with a bait keeper on it? I want something with a really nice bait keeper. If I'm using a spinning rod casting them, it's going to be a white wire hook. That way I don't have to drive that hook home. The rod does all the work for me as long as soon as that rod loads up. That fish is hooked. Don't you yeah. want to set the hook as hard as you can all the time? Yeah, it, that's, you can do that. It doesn't hurt, <laughs> but you don't have to do that. To where if I'm throwing it on a casting rod with 10 to 12 pound fluoro or 30 pound braid, I'm going to use a stouter hook because that rod's got a beefier backbone. I can drive that hook home. You know, and then most of the time I'm going to throw a four and a half to five inch swim bait with a casting rod just so I can send that hook home because it's going to be generally a bigger fish right. that's going to eat that bigger swim bait. Right. Sure. It's pretty rare you catch a 13-inch or a 5-inch swim bait just because it can't get that bait all the way back in its mouth. Right. 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 Makes sense. Interesting. Yeah. Where do you keep your rod tip? Like when you're retrieving, do you have your rod tip down? Do you keep it like level? Do you keep it above level? I, most of the time I'm cranking my rod. Um, if you think about it as a clock, it's at about 5 o'clock, and I'm keeping it to the side. AM or PM? It doesn't matter. <laughs> Interesting. Even a blind squirrel finds it not. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, I keep that I keep that rod to the side. I don't ever point my rod tip at the bait because especially if you're using a braid, if that fish bites, there's no stretch in that braid. Right. You need that rod as forgiveness. Right. So you want to keep that rod to the side. Even with fluoro, I keep my rod to the side. It's sure. just habit. So as soon as that rod, you'll feel that fish dump it, and as soon as that rod loads up a little bit, you just give them the beans. Sure. I just love send that. it home and just start cranking. I love that. It's not like a crankbait where it's got multiple hooks. It's not going to get hooked in another spot and use that hook as leverage where it can pop out. You got that fish hooked good. Right. Get that thing to the boat. Just flip send it, it. Flip it in the boat. Flipping six oh. pounders. Doesn't yeah, matter. I love that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I've seen Will flip more five pound walleyes than anybody. <laughs> <laughs> like All right. Four pounds max. Yes. That's good stuff, folks. I, I'm learning while I'm listening, so I hope you're paying attention. Uh, we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. Like, just for going right <laughs> And that's when Mark's mom told me that I was the favorite son. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I couldn't believe it, but I was honored. Right. You know? That works. <laughs> it was, I only known her for a half hour. I don't know. I don't know what you guys did to her, but I All guess right. I did it right. <laughs> we're back here. Uh, we're going to get back on topic. Mark's here talking uh, techie stuff with us. And he, he brought up some interesting things that I hadn't thought about as far as like your basic, like the basics of, of fishing. So Mark, you want to talk through some, like some of the specifics when you think about like starting with fishing line? Yeah. Um, so a lot of times I use braid when I really want to cut that water tension. So jig wrapping, um, crank baits, swim baits. Um, and then it all just depends on what exactly I'm doing. Sometimes I tie a leader onto it, like a fluoro leader, mono leader. Other times it's just straight to it. Um, so with that braid cutting through the water, it's because it's thinner, right? It's a much thinner diameter right. and there's where, zero stretch. Where with mono, you're going to have not only the stretch, but you're going to have a thicker profile. It's a thicker profile and with that stretch, puts a belly into the line just right. because of the tension of that water. Right. So when you set the hook, you have to take that belly out basically and it's added stretch. Right. So. Sure. Yep. Yeah, I think the diameter thing gets sort of overlooked. It's not as much. I remember when I first got into the techie side of things, I thought the diameter was more about visibility. And, like, there's a lot of proof that the visibility thing is not important. No. There's a lot of guys who fish high-vis line and do just fine. Yep. So it's not about that. It's about how that line is cutting through the water. Yep. Yeah, I don't even look at the pound test. I look at what the diameter of that line right. is when I put it on the reel. I want to either match it to a four-pound mono, a six-pound mono, eight, ten, right. whatever it is. Yeah. So that's all I'm looking for when I'm buying braids sure. and when I'm spooling it up. Even. And that's also, with all our reels, that's where you get your capacity from. Is It's the, the mono diameter yep so yeah and there's a lot of reels out there now that are putting braid capacities on oh are too. they really yep interesting yep it's not always on the spool but it'll be on the box gotcha so sure yeah um and most of the time i actually <clears throat> run a ton of fluoro i know dan and will don't ever hardly run straight fluoro never i really really like fluoro but it's got to be a good high quality fluoro you buy cheaper fluoro like vanish or 100 percent fluoro um, How do you like sea line? Sea <laughs> line? S E A space L I N E. It's cigar. 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 Yeah. Yeah. That's I, what I mean. I love cigar. Um, how's the, how's the leader material? Leader material? <laughs> like for this is a reference from like I don't even know if we brought it up, but I had a trip where I broke cigar leaders 
Like, I broke like seven of them on a half day trip. Really? Yeah. What, was it red label? What was it? Do you it know? The, what I, color the box only, was it? The only reason I bought it is it was the most expensive stuff in this store. Really? <laughs> no, here comes Dan. I'll have the most expensive <laughs> Ferrero that I can find. I was just intrigued. It was like cigar. It was like twenty-five yards for like twelve bucks or. Oh, something. it was the actual liter material. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. that's totally different. I sure. like. I buy the bulk, like filler right. spools, right. not the stuff. liter material. Right. Yeah. I run Red Label and Invisex. Those are my go-to. Who makes Invisex? Cigar. Okay. Yep, they make a whole they they don't do any mono. They do braid and they do floral. And they are the best at floral. They're fantastic. So they make a, a floral that's like $65 for a 125-yard spool. I mean, oh it my is goodness. hands down unreal what they've done. It's super thin diameters, really low stretch, super um, supple. It's got to be it's, like no It depends on what you buy because they like all their different brands of floral, they have like this one's you know, supple. This one's going to be better on a casting reel because it's it's not as limp. It's a stiffer line, so it performs better on a casting reel. And it's just, you know, it, it's awesome stuff. I love it. And you just have to match what you're doing. Um, most of the time, just if you want to run a mainline floral, Seaguar Red Label is going to be just fine for whatever you want to do. It's, why? Uh, it's a thin diameter floral. Um, it's got a little more stretch than some of your higher quality florals so it's going to perform a little more like your mono will and that being said it's going to be a lot more abrasion resistant than mono right so it's you're still going to get bit off by pike you're still going to break off on a rock every once in a while but if it saves you 10 lures a year you're not even going to notice that difference right. but it does sure so, so the biggest complaint with floral carbon is how how it curls off your spool yep so like is is cigar better and like does it have a lot less memory than like your cheaper that's why floral I, carbons will yes that's why i run the red label because it performs more like a mono it's not going to coil nearly as bad on you um it still has an ultra low visibility in the water as yeah, well all florals are invisible underwater they have really similar properties to water you know so the walleyes i'm water. catching have x-ray so they're <laughs> probably gonna see it gamma ray yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's why i go with gamma exactly I get it. Yeah. You know? But yeah, it's, I don't recommend it um, for most guys. If you're going to do it, put it on a slightly larger reel. Don't put it on a thousand size reel. It's going to coil off that spool and you're going to hate it. If you're going to do it, put it on a size 2500. I know a lot of guys that are starting to buy these bigger reels just for walleye fishing because it coils less or it right. comes off the spool nicer. It doesn't, you're, it's not as tight of a coil on that. Spool. Right. You think about a thousand, I mean, you can almost double, well, you can over double size. Like if you make it this, the size of a spool in your fingers, you can double it with 2,500. Yep. At least. Exactly. So you're, you're thinking about, you know, you make a loop around your fingers with a thousand and you think about that's how tight that coil is going to be. Well, you double that and that's how tight that coil is going to be with 2,500. Yep. Sure. So you can have a lot wider loops which is going to be a lot less noise yes absolutely and it's going to give you less twist with that bigger spool on there also because it doesn't take as many wraps to put it around but right. you also always want to break your reel over right <laughs> to, cl to close the yeah, nail you always want to close with it the with handle? the handle absolutely you want to crank not. it that exactly. is the worst thing you can do for your line and for the reel 
What's going to happen is you're going to wear out the bale spring. You're going to wear out that little lever piece that rolls your bale over. And it's going to put more twists into your line because that reel is turning before that bale is actually closed. And it's just going to make your life a living hell. It's going to suck. Don't do Sounds that. Like Don't do that, me. people. Yeah, it's the worst thing you can do. If, <laughs> you I brought it up. A if you times, learn right? one thing from this, don't close your bale with your hand on the reel. Right. Close it by hand. Just practice in the yard. I, I <laughs> have, do it yeah, out in the living room like we were doing today, trying to flip a jig into a cup. That's great. Yeah. I had a guy, like, to, so I told him, like, when you're using my stuff, I'd appreciate it if you could just close it by hand. And this guy was like, well, why, why do you want me to do that? I was like, well, you know, it's, I said it exact. I said nearly word for word what Mark just said. It's like, it's just like the worst thing you could do to my reels. Okay. So you're going from, you like, you, you take the, just the longevity of the reels. You, you go from having like, let's say a hundred miles on your reels, you know, by doing it this way, or you, you took my reels from having like a thousand mile capability and putting it to a hundred. Yep. And He's like, well, you're telling me I've been doing this wrong for 60 years? I'm like, well, kind of. I kind of <laughs> am. Well, I think they, I mean, they've designed the reels different too. I mean, you can just feel it when you try to turn them over now. They don't want to do no, it. Absolutely not. It There's a lot feel... more plastic parts in them nowadays. Right. You can no, no, burn no, them no, no, no. very fast. <laughs> the mechanical part, like if you think about like the old Shimano's with the, well, they, what was it called? The quick... Quick trigger. Quick yeah, trigger. quick They only triggers. have one, like they have one stopping mechanism. And that's to put that reel at home so you can do that quick trigger. Yep. So like you have more speed built up. I mean, you're still going to have a twist, but you still you have that speed built up. So you're closing that more effectively. Yep. Where on like the Supreme in front of us, you have like four stopping mechanisms. So you don't build up any speed. No. Yeah. And it's like, uh, no, <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> it is. It's just an archaic thing. I think. I think people used to do it. You know, with their yep. stuff, and you can wear them in. You know, if you do it, if you do it a thousand times a summer, yeah, next summer it's going to break over pretty quick. But that's not good in the. But long for run. how long? Right. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Um, Will and I have. Well, I know I specifically have sort of highlighted like that. I've been sticking with smaller reels, and you brought up a good point about like. With the fluoro, that would be one reason for a bigger reel. What's an, what's another reason? Like, what are the advantages of having a bigger reel? Like we were talking about earlier, cast and swim baits, crank baits, the bigger the spool, the further cast you're going to get. Right. So it comes off that spool a lot cleaner. Even if it's by 10, 15, 20 feet, that's still a little bit longer cast. It's a little bit longer you can stay in that strike zone. Sure. So it's... I suppose, especially with crankbaits. Crankbaits especially. Because you're taking like four cranks to get down to your yep, desired depth. Exactly. And you're staying down there yeah. for, well, it's in essence like the entire cast that that other person was, you know? Yeah. And you're casting a fairly light bait, you know, everybody's dealt with casting a crankbait like you're not yep. always happy, you know, yeah. with where, where it ends up and a bigger reel is maybe going to help you with that. Absolutely it will. Yeah. Especially if you're going to be running a mono. Sure. So a mono or a floral line. Um. The other thing a bigger reel does, especially once you get over that 2,000 mark, you start getting in that 2,500, 3,000, you get a smoother drag and you get more drag just because you can get more um, surface area touching that drag washer sure. on the spool. So you gain smoother drag, more drag. So those are the biggest reasons I'm using strictly 2000s or bigger most of the time unless i'm jig wrapping or jigging vertical or something like that i'm not casting a bait ever sure so when you when you when you're using those reels those big like when you're using fluorocarbon on those reels 
and you're having those problems with that line curling, what, do you, what, are, your, what are your like techniques to, to remedy that? I cut the lure I'm using off completely. I put the gear... Like in, in half? Yeah, yeah. So you just saw that, that saw stop right in half. Yeah, I actually that cut, the, stop. You cut, cut the rod right, right in half. half. It's done. Game Interesting. Okay. <laughs> uh, but no, I cut the jig off, lure off, crankbait, whatever, and I put the boat in forward, and I let out 150, 200 feet of line, and I just go in three miles an hour, just letting that line drag behind the boat. It's getting all that twist out of the line. Mm-hmm. It's straightening the line. because it's stretching it, it out as it's well. It's the tension on the, with the water. It's... And you're going to pump that rod a couple times just to help get that twist out. And then you're slowly just going to wind it up. And your line should be good as new again. It's pretty you, close to good as new. You don't do any of the like the boiling water tricks or the real magic? Not usually. You just do that because with your it's, ice fishing gear, don't you? Um, sometimes. Uh, it just if, if I spool a rod up and I notice instantly it's about to pop off the spool, I'll just put it under some warm water. I don't, I've never tried real magic. I don't know what it's like just because putting it under warm water is easy. Let enough. me tell you, it is real magic, man. <laughs> like it David Copperfield stuff? R E E L, man. Real, real magic. I'll say, <laughs> I'll say to back up Mark's point that this time of year, especially, I, I run that, that, that program he just described probably weekly now um, because. Well, like as a guide, I get a lot of line dra- or a lot line twist because I have customers reeling against their drag a lot. Yep. And then I fish a lot of little jigs, which also adds twist. That's a nice sound. What? <laughs> <laughs> no, just real faster. That's all you have to do, and that fish will come right in. <laughs> I'd rather. Like, yeah. Oh goodness, this is it, bad. It's fine. Stop the so, man. So, like, I start, I start a trip, a week now where I'll get to the lake 15 minutes early, get all my rods clipped off, and just run all the mono out the back of the boat and just yep. run the boat for 10 minutes like that. And that, it does, it, it helps a lot. Oh, yeah, absolutely it does. And that's just, it's a simple fix. You just got to take the time to do it. Yep. It's cheap and easy. Yeah. Right. It's better than buying another spool of line and spending 10 to $20 on a spool of line. Right. So, right. And, and the other thing is always put backing on your reels. So you don't ever have to fill... Your reel with up the expensive with line. the expensive line. Sure. If you fill half of it up with a cheap mono, you have line around the house that's been there for five years. If you get down to that while you're fishing, you're screwed anyway. Sure. So there's a bass guy who lives in town, Reggie. He, uh, what he does is he has like that backing or whatever, and he only puts like a hundred feet of floral cover on. Yeah, it's and he'll cut it off every single time he goes fishing. Yeah, or every time he gets done fishing, he'll cut it right off, put new stuff on every time. I, I wouldn't go that far oh, with he's it. He's got a lot bigger bank with, with floral. If it <laughs> starts getting kind of white and looking chalky, that's when you need to replace it instantly. It's it's sat out in the sun too long. It's got stretched a little too much. Just replace it. You're gonna thank me later. You don't have to deal with the headache of breaking five jigs off in a row. Sure. So makes sense. Yeah. All right. Let's take another break, and we'll be back with some more tech stuff. All right, we're back here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Mark has been uh, helping us with some techie stuff. He's got a few more things he's going to cover. Uh, and we've covered these topics before, and I was a little hesitant when we like wrote down the list of what we were going to cover. But Mark's got a, diff- a different perspective, and I feel like I'm learning, and I hope you are too. So, Mark, do you want to talk a little bit about fishing rods? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
let's start with jigging rods, just because I know Will's itching to talk about catching a fish on a jig again. I don't think I've ever owned a real jigging rod. Um, I like a, a lot softer rod and lighter rod than most people do. Um, Will generally uses a medium light, I'm guessing 6'9". Yeah, um, I got like four of them. The only one to own in Will's opinion. There's one sitting right in front of you. <laughs> I like see that. Six inches in front of you is a six <laughs> nine medium light. <laughs> it's wonderful. Um, so personally, I like a longer rod. Um, I'm going to go to that seven foot marker longer. The reason is you get a lot more play out of that rod. And that gives you the ability to lose less fish just because that rod is going to load more throughout the rod. And if that fish happens to slackline you or it's hooked bad, you can back that drag off and that rod is still loaded up even though you don't have full pressure on that fish. Sure. Now, um, with that, like if you don't get the full hook set of that, if you don't get the entire play of that rod, especially if it's a little bit lighter, like there's more ability for you for... It's, like where, where the longer rods come into play is when you're fighting the fish. But there's a lot more margin for error when you're using a longer rod. Um, I don't think so. It's especially if a fish picks up your jig and spits it right away. With a longer rod, you have the ability to set that rod back further. Even if it's a seven footer, that's, you know, if you look at it from... Angled perspective. From one o'clock to six o'clock, that's six extra inches. Right. You know, just because it's three inches each way. So if I set the hook and my rod comes all the way back, I can set that jig way back and wait for that fish to come back and eat it. Sure. So that's why I go to a longer rod most of the time. This spring, I was using a 7.6 in the boat with Will. Um, I know at, at the store, we're, we have rods out to 7.9, 7.10 now. I mean, just giant, giant rods, which is astronomical to me. I never thought it would get that crazy. So, Plus, you look super cool when you load that rod up. Yes, you look like a boss so with a actually, seven and a half those, rod Those up. rods, they actually come with a little sound box in the base. And when you set the hook, it goes, I love this man. Fish on. People are turning the sound down. <laughs> well, I can't help it. That that's, that's what they come with. I can't help it. It's not my fault that you know, these companies understand that like, they need that extra intensity when they set the hook with these long rods. Right. It's not my fault. It's the rod company's fault. <laughs> yeah. I, would, I think that brings up a good point, though. And this is... Like, the difference between, like, me as, like, a tournament angler and me as a guide. But, like, when I'm fishing monofilament specifically and I'm jigging, I've got my drag pretty tight. Yep. My drag is, is really tight, and that's specific for my hook set. And then after I've hooked a fish, and if anything concerns me about how that process went down, you know, maybe it was one of those bites where they're just stealing it out of your hand right away and you didn't feel good about your hook set or maybe it's a big fish, then I'm going to like, I don't think about it a lot. I'm just going to back my drag off while that fish is on probably close to a, probably close to a half a turn. Wouldn't you say like Pretty you just easy. grab that thing and, and turn it counterclockwise. And if you're like an avid guy who's, who's fishing all the time, keep your drag tight on mono, but then like you should practice backing your drag off while you're fighting a fish. Absolutely. I would not ask that of my customers. You know, I try to set my drag With so it's like, in the sweet spot, but I do think like the correct way to do it is tight drag for your hook set, back it off if you're at all concerned about so anything. Big especially fish, if you're bad moving rather quickly, whether that being with your trolling motor or with the drift, um, you set that hook 
And you need that, I mean, because of the stretch, you need that big hook set to drive yep. home. And then, like, even with my customers, I'll reach over, I'll loosen it for them. I don't care. Like, I can I can tell by the way the rod's bending and if there's no sound. I can just tell, like, yeah, I'm, we're going to break this fish off if I don't loosen this. And, like, you can't ask that of somebody who is not green. used to doing it. Yeah, yep. if there's a green fisherman in the boat, you have to just do it for them. Right. You know, and I'm not... I, I, I've, I've never really found the true sweet spot. I've always been one to just play with it. Sure. You know, so I, I guess I'm always, yeah. I'm not afraid to get in. I'm not afraid to get in there and loosen that drag. Right. Yeah. I'm just saying like for most of the people who listen to this podcast avidly, like they're pretty avid walleye anglers and like you should, right. Like, that should, that should be a, a technique you you have and it's, yeah. it's not that hard like i'm not specific about like oh, i've got to turn eight clicks counterclockwise once I, no i'm just like oh i have to back the drag mine yeah. is like cinched down right like at all times like i want no movement when i set that hook i want that like i want my stretch capacity that's funny you bring this up because we were just pretty we were just playing we were just playing right can you hear this folks don't do me like that. We were just playing. I got about a four-inch perch on here and it's falling gray. <laughs> Don't, I just spooled that. I just spooled now that. Now it's all twisted. Now you got to cut it off. Dirty and... son of a... Dirty. You want to find a boat for ten minutes? I'm going to go put it in my pond back there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But the other reason to use a long rod, especially throwing swim baits or crankbaits like we talked about before, is more casting distance. Mm-hmm. So you pair that long rod up with a 2,500, 3,000-size reel... Next thing you know, you got 25, 30 more feet casting distance. So it just, it's bonus all the way around. Sure. So I think especially braid, that softer, longer rod helps a ton. Just not with mono so much, but braid just because there's zero stretch in it. You know, it cuts through the water nice. You're always going to get a good hook set. Doesn't matter. So I'm going longer And like with your style of fishing too, where you're casting along brake lines. Yes. Like that extra casting distance can mean the difference between four fish and eight fish. Yep, exactly. Because that distance and that that ability to stay in that strike zone. Yep. So I'm not just covering more water. It's in the strike zone longer. Right. Sure. And that's something that like us, like us, I mean like you're, you're a, you're a jack of all trades. Like you're out there to catch fish. Like us walleye guys, like when we're fishing a brake line. We're working, well, unless we're dragging along that edge, if we're casting, we're casting up it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Like, that. that's just, it's not necessarily a foreign concept, but it's not a super familiar concept. Yeah. Like, once you figure out what zone that fish lives in, why would you cast into dead space? Right. That's, I don't, I don't but, understand where you but, walleye guys but do the, that. But, but where the walleye guys go differently is they'll, they'll just work that brake line with their trolling motor because, well... Because that's just what they do. Yeah. But you if know? they're living in 10 to 12 feet, why would you cast into 7 or 8 feet and then work into that? Right. When you could always stay in 10 to 12 feet. Right. Well, you better ask most walleye guys. Yeah. I'm, I'm here with two. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't think they're that specific to a depth. I don't think no. they, like, care that much, you know? Also, if, some, I mean, if, they're, if they're that specific, they're holding to a boulder. They're, they're holding, holding, they're holding to, to a weed edge. Yeah. Well... Because they don't like feel the difference between no, and 10 and 12. Where and I live 14, now, 16. there's steep brake lines. Sure. So if they're living in 10 to 12 feet, that's where they like to live. Sure. You know, it's 
it's when you cast up into the shallow water, if you if you have the boat sitting in 30, you're casting into four sometimes. Sure. I mean, it's not a far cast. That's that break like. line is so steep just about everywhere. Right? That's where I like to catch up. Yeah. <laughs> right up there. So yeah, I want to know, like, how do you not think that your casts come, become more and more redundant? Like, if you're casting perpendicular with the, or I'm sorry, parallel with the break. Yep. And, like, you're casting off the bow, I assume, right? Yeah. Yep, I'm up on the trail motor all the right. time. Right. So then aren't you running your bait through the same stretch of water and over over and over again? No, because I'm moving. Right. The trolling motor's in the water. I'm going at, I have the trolling motor set at three or four, you know, so I'm cruising at half a mile to three quarters of a mile an hour. Sure. And I'm searching. As soon as I find those fish, I can slow down and catch those fish. Sure. Whether I put a jig wrap over the top of them, if it's in 20 feet of water and I can mark those fish, if I'm looking back and I'm not getting bit on that swim bait or crankbait, and I look back on the graph and I see there's three fish sitting under the boat, I'm going to put spot lock on and I'm going to jig wrap those fish. Sure. Or I'm going to put a big jig on and I'm going to put a twitch tail on and act like a jig wrap and just pound the bottom and make that fish eat. Sure. So. Gotcha. So what's your take on June bug quarter ounce jigs? Um, we don't from, have time. We don't have time for this. <laughs> Real quick, from what I've seen, they're fantastic. Don't ever get in the boat with Wilf. He's got one tied on. Bingo. <laughs> That's what I like to hear, folks. June bug color jigs. Yep. Okay. I think we can move on just a little bit now. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is what we've all been waiting for. Yeah. This is the topic. Like, when you talk tech talk... Like, we went over, like, the baby stuff. Yeah. This is where it gets dicey, okay? <laughs> I want to talk to you, Mark, about... Bird, bird, bird. Bird is the word. Bird, bird, bird. Bird is the word. Have you heard about the bird? Bird, bird, bird. Bird is the word. Oh, my goodness. Did you tell me about it? He's, he's on point. Bird, bird. <laughs> Bird is the word. Bird, 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 bird. Bird is the word. We're talking about electronics now. Bird, yeah. bird, bird, bird. Hummingbirds specifically. Um, we're, I, we're all bird guys sitting here right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest reason, mapping. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell me if I'm wrong. No. No. For sure. Lake um, Master. Lake Master is fantastic. There's Not- guys selling ten year old Lake Master chips for little rances for. A hundred dollars. Right. I mean, there there's a reason they're sought after right, right now. So you just like so just a reference. Not trying to dog anybody for wanting a different unit, but you just look at specifically like your phone Navionics. Like you spend up to twenty dollars on your phone, and you get the Navionics app, and you look at how accurate that is, and the Navionics chip that goes into Lorance is not much better. Like it's okay. It's, but it's not that much better. It's great than what you for sitting at home, looking at new lakes, just trying to figure all, out. All of us have it on the phone. Oh, absolutely, all of yeah. us. Yeah, but I don't want to take it out on the boat with me or right. out on the ice with me. I want to have that Lake Master chip in front of me. It's it's a lot more accurate than just about everything else out there, unless you're making your own maps, sure. which you can do on a hummingbird. Right. You buy a hundred dollars hundred dollars zero line card. Auto Trail Live is fantastic. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? It's I've played with it a couple times this year. Holy cow. You can just drive around lakes. Yeah. And like, make your own map. Yeah. Even spots that I thought were really close and looked really good, I've just played with Auto Trail Live just to see what it looks like. And you're like, oh, there's one little tiny spine that comes off this thing. No wonder I catch a fish here every time I make a pass. Right, you have a mark there. Yeah. It's like, holy cow. No right. wonder. So it's... 
It's fantastic. Yeah, I think mapping is probably where it sets itself apart. Also, like how it how it uh, indicates your location and your direction of travel on the map. That's yep. like, and you can nice. change that stuff too, which is cool on a, on a bird. Right. So. But I just feel like. At slow speeds, you get a really good idea of where you're going yep. with a bird, and I haven't had that experience with the Lorantz. Right. Yep. Um, I think, and I'll, like we've all we all own hummingbirds, but we've all fished with Lorances. Yeah. Right. Like I used to own a Lorance, and too. like the sonar on it was you know great. You know it was a super sonar. Yeah. Um, but the the GPS on it was slow reacting. Yeah. And where where on my hummingbird. Like for me, my most important thing is is the mapping. Like yeah. you can so, fish without sonar. Well, yeah, you can you as can. long as you know where the map is. I mean, it yeah, helps if you have a map. But like my priority is where I am on that structure because, like in my mind, I know where the fishiest spot is, right? And they're not always in the fishiest spot, and we all can attest that we find them on the like least fishy spots on any of these structures at any given time. But we're always going to check those fishiest structures first. And a lot of times, spot A on spot A is the place to be. The spot right. on the spot. The spot on the spot. The juice. Right. Well, what's the, difference? what's the difference between the juice and the sauce, Mark? So the juice is temporary. The sauce is forever. Mm, mm, gotta love that sauce, boy. Mm, 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 gotta love it. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I'm a, a hummingbird guy, I know a lot of good Lorance guys. So yep. I just like I and I also like know my experience with the Rances are like a generation or two behind where they're at now, you know? But I do they, think they haven't like, changed much though in the past five years. Okay. They really haven't. Their sonar is still the same. Sure. Which is they're, so great. It's great. It's sonar. A great sonar. Hummingbird's new chirp sonar is really, really good too. It just looks different than Lorance. You're not going to get those nice, crisp, clean hooks like you see in a Lorance. If a fish is hugging bottom on a bird, it might look like a rock. It yep. might look like a clump of weeds. Right. You have to spend time on the water and notice those differences and be able to interpret those. Right. So once you start catching those clumps of weeds, you're going to kind of put A and B together. That's right. And I feel like that's a point worth bringing up. Like, I would rather have my particular unit right now than than anything else and it's just because i've spent three years now staring at that screen yeah you get used to it yeah. you know what you're looking right. at right and so like there's a mark on on the screen that nobody would consider a fish except for me and i know that it's me catching the edge of a fish you yep. know like it, it's just and i can't even like explain why it is but like I, three blue lines it's like a, with the way sonar cones work right it's once you figure out how your sonar cone operates right. and you mark a fish on that outer edge of that cone you mm -hmm. know what that fish looks like all the time right you so just what, know. what degree does that does your sonar go like on your summer graphs what is that what is that degree on that summer cone uh 20 and 60 20 and 60 so your inner cone's 20 your outer cone is 60 so most time you're not going to mark a fish on that outer cone it's just for bottom reading for the most part um but when a fish if that's where you get that hook from is if you think about a triangle, when that fish comes in on one side of your triangle, it's going to mark down because it's further away. It's on the outer edge. Right. And, and then when it comes towards the center, it's going to get higher because it's right underneath the boat. It's less travel. That's a parabola. Has to make. It's a parabola. And it's just going to make that nice hook. So if you're right underneath the fish, it's going to look like a hook. It's going to look fantastic. But it doesn't always read that way because sometimes you just clip that outer edge of that cone and you never get to see the full image of that fish. Sure, sure. So... I don't, I don't know. Have you got a chance to look at 
mega imaging at all yeah. from Hummingbird. Yep. I just got it in my boat this year. Oh my goodness. It is. It's pretty crazy. I and literally it, drove around in marked schools of walleye, schools yeah. of smallmouth, and you could drop a waypoint on them. You scroll over, drop a waypoint, and that waypoint is now right on top of that school. Right. I do think it's sort of lake specific when it's really useful and when it's not. So like my example, like Leech Lake, the main lake of Leech, like that, that is a pretty hard place to use your imaging and, and pull fish out of because it's so rocky. Where, and where the fish are, the very, like, especially if they're on the tops, like it's very limited space yep. on the tops of those. Right. You're yep. better off with your sonar then instead of side imaging. Right. Yep. Whereas it's, like Cass Lake, where it's primarily sand. sand yep. And it's flatter. It's, like where the fish are, there's a lot more vast, expansive flat. Sure. I would just say, I feel like the bottom content, bottom content is like, because like any disturbance at all on like a lot of that lake, because it's so much sand, it's going to be a fish. Yep. And and they they mark pretty clear out there. Yes. Out, out of my buddy Matt's boat. It's unbelievable. I did it out in Grand Rapids this year where it was horrible water clarity. I literally drove around and marked smallmouth beds. You could see a dark depression, a circle, and just a speck sitting in it. And I would drop a waypoint on it, I could go back and catch that fish. Sure. Just because you couldn't see them in eight feet of water That's like crazy. you usually can. It's, it was absolutely nuts. And the wind was blowing 40 miles an hour. And we did okay that tournament, but it was it was brutal. It was just cool that you could go drive around and just, oh, there's a bed, there's a bed, there's a bed. Sure. So. Not looking for fish, but looking for beds. Yeah, yeah. You cover a lot more water because you don't have to use your eyes scanning both sides of the boat. Right. You're on a big flat somewhere. Even walleyes out there. I, I went over one hump and it was 16 feet of water. And clear as day, I could literally see a walleye on that image. Sure. And there was other fish around it. I don't know if those were walleyes, but I could see the outline of a walleye. That's I mean, crazy. I guess it could have been a sucker too, but sure. it looks pretty similar. But it was, to me, it looked exactly like a walleye. It was really cool. What I've been telling people about their imaging lately, like when they're as, asking about it, because like, God, I've spent a lot of years looking at, at imaging and not really knowing what it's telling me. And what I've been telling people now is like, when you start, <clears throat> like reverse engineer it. So like, go fishing, use your sonar. Get to find, know what that looks like first. Yep. And then like, find a school of walleyes. Like, all right, you're on a pretty good walleye bite. Take five minutes to get outside that school, cruise it with your side imaging, and now you know what a school of walleye looks like, yep. right? Because, like, you knew you were on them. You knew where they were. Now you've looked at them on your imaging. Hopefully you saw something. That's what a school of walleye looks like now. Yep. And so, like, don't do it as, like, I'm going to find a school of walleyes the Absolutely first time not. out with my, with my side imaging. Find a school of walleyes the way you normally do, whether it's just checking your favorite spot or, or using your 2D. And then reverse engineer it. Use your use your side imaging after you know what where the walleyes are. And now you have a reference. This is what it looked like this particular day on this particular spot. Yep. I feel like that's a pretty good way to do it. And yep. now you know, like for future for future reference, what they what yep. they're going to look like and on the imaging. settings are really important on your imaging side of stuff. Sure. So if you're going to image at three miles an hour to four miles an hour, set your chart speed at three. You're going to have to play with your sensitivity just to see, depending on bottom content, for the most part, the harder the bottom, the less sensitivity you want, just so you're not marking bottom hard, right. so that way you can actually see that fish stand out or rock stand out or whatever it is. Um, and then my biggest thing is how far out you're looking. 
So I never, ever look more than 75 feet on yeah. both sides. Sure. If I'm going to set it only, like, say I want to look at my left side because my transducer's on my left side. That's where I get my clearest image. I'm going to take my right side completely off, and I'm going to set my... Um, Your right side? My left side, oh. the side I'm looking at, out to 150 feet. Just because it's the same amount of distance, but I'm only looking at one side just because maybe there's 65 feet behind me on my right side and, you know, 20 feet on my left side. Sure. So it's, I can actually see more clear just because it's the same amount of distance. Sure. So. Good tip. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Thank you. I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Electronics are, you know, it's the, the most important tool in the boat, I'd say, in my opinion. I mean... Besides maybe the outboard getting you where you're uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is one the of the important yes. tools in the boat. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it take it it takes time. Yeah. I don't think there's any shortcut. Yeah. You gotta just look at a screen and and be thoughtful about like trying to figure out what you're looking at. You yeah. know. When when I sell somebody a brand new graph and it's completely different, like if they had an old graph that was just a sonar unit before, I tell them don't even take rods with them the first time. Yeah. Go out and play with that graph before you even try to fish because yeah. otherwise you're just going to get frustrated while you're trying to fish trying to get this thing set up the way you want right so yeah and then like try to figure out a way like try to problem solve a way to figure out what you're looking at yeah and, and there's tons of youtube videos out there nowadays sure they can help you out especially on the imaging side of stuff because sure. it's it's not straightforward but it is pretty straightforward right. for the most part i mean you can get it dialed in close and be able to know what you're looking at and then, like, you get feedback from your from whatever your baits are. Like, what are you fishing? You know, like, what are you feeling down there? Yeah. And then line it up with what your graph is looking like. Absolutely. Like, okay, yeah. that's that that looks like deep coontail. Yeah. I just pulled up some coontail. You yep. know, like, that, that's what that looks like. And, like, on image, coontail looks exactly it does. like coontail. It does. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty insane. <laughs> it's like, well, that looks like cornrows. Yeah. That's a coontail. <laughs> right. Yep. <laughs> Or sand grass is just like little bubbly things coming off the bottom. And yeah. There's dead spots in it every once in a while where there's a sand patch. All right. You want to do a weekend preview? Yes. We've got two trips together. Yeah. Dan, we're, we're going to go catch a bunch of walleyes at least one of those days. And it's going to be a blast. Mm -hmm. I'm going to jig up a bunch. And you're going to do other things. Mm -hmm. But it's going to be a great time. Um, I also have a trip on leech tomorrow and i did find like a school of fish and maybe they'll bite tomorrow maybe they won't we'll find out uh, i'm gonna try and pull in crankbaits by them so the spot that i had found fish in they weren't super concentrated but there was fish in that area so i'm gonna try pulling cranks on them see if i can't get those fish to bite again you know but do it in a shorter fashion sure um but yeah that's my plan all right. What's your plan? Uh, I'm going to crush you on that trip together. I'm going to catch four more fish. Good luck. And then, uh, I, yeah, I'm all over the place again. I'm going to do some multi-species stuff again, but I'm looking forward to the walleye trips. And it's like, what was the high today? Like 63 degrees? Yeah, 62. Awesome. Feels like fall up here. There's air conditioning blowing through my porch right now. Yeah, yeah. Don't Glorious. have to pay for it anymore. Um, yeah. I don't have a lot to say about the week in, in preview. I'm not sure what it's It's the same be. stuff we've been doing. Right. You know, it's either going to be deeper Lindy rigs. It's going to be deeper Lindy rigs or shallow jigging. Yeah. Like, that's that's what the dog days are all about. 
Yeah. Till those weeds start dying, wind starts blowing out of the west. That's what we're going to be doing. Yep. Because it's what works, you know? And uh, J-Grabs. And J-Grabs. How about you, Mark? You got anything planned? What are you doing this week? I got to go pre-fish. Pre-fish for I gotta, I gotta, bass tournament? Yeah, I do. I got one last bass tournament. It's uh, down on the Mississippi River in Brainerd. All right. So uh, it's going to take some big weights to win that one. That I don't know. We're hoping to catch a couple big ones, so we'll see. I think we're going to need a three and three-quarter pound average. So it's sure. last one, and then I'm chasing walleyes on a jig and a minnow. Oh, it's going to be glorious. we got to get maybe, out of here. Maybe casting a musky bait or two, too. You also, should. Yeah. They're, they're biting. <laughs> yes. Thanks, folks. Hour-long episode. Maybe you had to listen to it a couple different times, but uh, Mark had some good stuff. I'd be the first one to say that. This was informative for me, and I hope it was for you. Uh, while I talk with Will and Dan, I'm Dan Ryan. I'm Will Newer. Episode 18. Good luck, folks. Thank you, guys.